Welcome to the Arthroscopy Association's Arthroscopy Journal podcast. I'm Dr. Travis Decker from Eglin Air Force Base, and today I'll be speaking with Dr. Peter Millett. He truly needs no introduction. He's a world-renowned surgeon and thought leader in innovative techniques and clinical outcome studies of complex shoulder procedures. He currently practices at the Stedman Clinic of Vail, Colorado, and continues to push the frontier of complex shoulder surgery with the advancement of techniques, critical evaluation of his clinical outcomes, along with the many contributions to all of our sports societies. I'll be once again focusing on classic articles within arthroscopy with a particular interest in the advancement of surgical techniques and the lessons learned from these difficult procedures. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Millet, as I'm excited and eager to learn many tips and tricks after reviewing your original March 2009 arthroscopy article entitled The Bony Bankart Bridge Procedure, a new arthroscopic technique for reduction and internal fixation of a bony bankart lesion. Dr. Millet, congratulations on all your achievements and contributions, along with this practice-changing article, and welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks a lot, Travis. It's great to be here, and uh, I appreciate your kind introduction. Um, but this, really, the, all the praise should go to all, all the fellows and who have inspired me to try and get better, and the patients who presented with difficult problems like this that we didn't have solutions. So um, it's great to be here today. Well, speaking of that, where there there wasn't great solutions, I'm always curious with uh, how you all as innovators kind of come up and uh, develop these techniques. And so can you start us off with a brief description of the evolution of this procedure and what techniques prior to this uh, bony brain cart bridge technique you were actually utilizing? Well, prior, I really didn't know what to do with this um, when I started practice. Historically, people had talked about fixing it with screws or removing it and doing some type of a bone graft or just ignoring it and doing a soft tissue repair. And then as as we learn more and more about complexities and problems associated with bone loss, it seemed like we should try and preserve this. So uh, initially, I would do it through an open approach. The bone fragment is always attached to the capsule. So it can be challenging to uh, to fix it even if you do an open approach. Uh, and then started looking at doing it arthroscopically and there had been some reports of fixing these with anchors. Um, so I tried that and um, some people had advised drilling through the fragment or using some type of penetrating device to go through the fragment. But that led to, um, to tilting of the bone fragment or sometimes additional comminution or fracturing in the fragment. So it was just a real, real challenging problem. Um, and we, I, I don't think we had a great solution. Um, so we started looking at whether the concept of bridging it, which we had been using in the rotator cuff, could be applied to, to, these, frag, to these bone fragments. Yes, sir. And I, I can recall back to when I was under your teaching, seeing you do this and then having to apply it to my own hands, the, some of the difficulties of this procedure. Do you have any pearls for the listeners on how to maximize visualization, specifically being able to really see down medial to that fragment and getting right and getting the right angle to do so and to, to place that anchor medially? And any other pearls that you've learned with the, the good and the bad and the ugly of the procedure as you've mastered this procedure over time? Yeah, I think that... Um... That's probably there's two there's two parts that are difficult with the procedure. Um, one is placing the medial um, anchor and doing it in a way which is safe and which you can see. The other is passing the sutures around the bone fragment. 
I think securing it laterally on the glenoid face is pretty straightforward once you have the sutures passed. But so um, the first thing is you have to have a good portal placement. I like to visualize from posterior. If I'm going to be doing one of these, I make my posterior portals just slightly lateral so that I can look down the front of the glenoid. And then I also use a 70 degree scope from posteriorly. And I'll use two anterior portals, a high anterior superior, and then a another portal that um, would go just over the over the subscap like you do for a typical arthroscopic bank cut repair. So that allows for good visualization. And then I'll put an elevator in and elevate that fragment, uh, mobilize it. If it's a chronic one, sometimes you might even have to osteotomize it to get it to move. But with an acute one, you can usually just elevate it. And then you can visualize the glenoid neck from posterior with a 70 degree scope. So that's the, the first step. If you're having trouble, you can also look from anterior superior, just look down the face. But usually with a 70 degree scope from the back, you can see pretty well. Um, once, you, once you've done that, you can place your anchor medial to the fragment. That can either be done one of two ways. Initially, when I started doing this, I, I would place the anchor through the fracture site, which is a little bit easier to do and you can place your anchor medially, but then you have your sutures that you have to somehow pass around the fragment. Uh, so what I've learned is that I'll take a spinal needle and just make a percutaneous, uh, small percutaneous portal, and I'll come in with a, uh, a guide that has a small trocar in it um, for the anchor, and I'll just go percutaneous, and I'll put that um, through the soft tissue and, and insert the medial anchor uh, medial to the fragment while I'm looking at it, uh, elevating the fragment with an elevator and visualizing from posterior. So once I've placed the anchor, then what I'll do is I'll leave the sutures in the, um, I'll take the drill out, put the anchor in, but the sutures will still be in the, uh, the guide for the anchor. So I'll just go anterior to the fragment and the capsule but posterior to the subscap, and I'll just then pop it through laterally um, around the fragment and then retrieve the sutures, and then your sutures are passed. If you do it the other way, placing the anchor through the fracture, then you have to use some type of a passing instrument around the fragment, which can be um, a little bit tricky because the fragment sometimes is bigger than the, the curvature of um, your shuttling device. So by placing it in percutaneously, put it in medially, then keep the sutures in the guide and then just pop it through the capsule laterally. Basically, you, you put your anchor in and you have your sutures passed all in one, one simple, you know, relatively straightforward step. I really like that, that tip uh, in advancement, even of the technique originally described. And I know that there's in Vail, there's a lot of innovation that occurs in as technology has advanced, are you still using similar fixation devices? And are you employing any of the use of the curb guides or knotless mechanisms? Uh, well, it ends up being a knotless repair mm -hmm. um, because you secure, the bone fragment usually is always attached to the labrum and the capsule. So what I'll usually do is mobilize it, place that medial anchor in, uh, pass the sutures around the fragment, and then I'll just sort of park those outside of my cannula, then I'll go ahead and repair the labrum inferiorly. So I've secured it there and then I'll repair repair the labrum superiorly. Um, I'm using a knotless all suture anchor for that in most cases now, um, above and below the fragment. And that kind of reduces it 
um, and anchors it um, above and below the fracture. And then I'll just retrieve those sutures and then secure them on the face of the glenoid using a knotless anchor. And that, you know, secures it. There's a variety of different ways you could do this with, with some of the new anchor designs where you can uh, shuttle the sutures through the different anchors, et cetera. But the, the concept is, is still the same of bridging the fracture and compressing it, compressing the bone fragment back down and having anchors medially and laterally that prevent uh, over reduction or under reduction and help to prevent tilting of the fragment and avoid avoids uh, further comminution or for additional fracturing of the fragment. Yes, sir. And uh, I was, when re when reading your paper, it was it mentioned at the very beginning that you were routinely using CT scans to critically evaluate the size of the fragment. And so, question one: Are you still using CT scan routinely in these patients to evaluate it and is there a size of fragment that you're looking at either just incorporating it into your repair versus that of doing the bridging technique? Or is there a size on the flip side of that? Is there a size that's so big that you would actually convert over to doing more of that traditional technique that you'd originally described by placing screws through the fragment? I would say that we are not routinely using CT scans in my practice. Some other people in our practice do use them. We have an ongoing study right now to see whether an uh, x-rays and an MRI are enough. Uh, we, we, ha we don't have the data yet, but we want to see whether a CT scan actually changes decision-making. If I have any concerns about the bone, I think that a CT scan clearly shows it better than an MRI, but I think this is a, a decision that's made based on a number of factors, such as the age of the patient, their activity, um, how big the fragment is, what's the quality of the bone, you know, whether there's associated radial tears of the labrum or anything like that. So um, there's a lot of different factors that come into the decision-making besides just this, the size of the fragment or whether there is a bone fragment. Um, with regards to your question about sizing, if it's a small de minimis piece, then I will just do a standard soft tissue uh, repair. Um, if it's a very large piece, I do like to use screw fixation. Um, if it's like 30 or 40% of the glenoid that's involved and it's big enough to put screws in, I will usually use that. Although I've had a few cases where the bone quality was not great or there was significant comminution and I was actually able to sort of do a double bridging technique using multiple uh, anchors and, and multiple bridging constructs to uh, secure the secure the uh, the fragment back down. So that's it's an, it's a nice trick if the bone quality is questionable where you think a screw is going to not get good purchase. Yes, sir. One of the things that I've really admired about your practice, especially as you have advanced and you have uh, generated new ideas and new techniques is you've been you become very critical of your clinical results and you uh, you've published on your clinical results with long-term follow-up on your patients. Uh, because it is a rare enough procedure, you can speak better than most about how you treat these patients postoperatively and what you see maybe in the difference in outcomes, possibly range of motion uh, of a standard bank cart repair versus that of a bony bank cart repair. And so do you rehabilitate them any differently than your standard bank cart repair protocol? And then at the end of the day, do you notice any differences in terms of range of motion or... Uh, or have you seen a difference in recurrence when just evaluating your standard soft tissue repairs versus that of the bony bank cart bridge repair? 
the rehab is fairly it's fairly similar to what we would do for a typical bank cart. However, if there's concerns about how secure the fragment is, we'll tend to go a little bit slower. We'll limit their external rotation usually to 30 degrees, uh, and we'll start active motion somewhere around four weeks out, four to five weeks. If it's really not good quality fixation or we're concerned about it, we will probably delay that. Um, in my experience, most of these types of injuries, the significant ones typically occur in a little bit older age population than a typical soft tissue bank heart. So that probably does play a role um, in the recovery. Range of motion, I would say, is fairly similar to what we would get after a typical bank heart, but there are some patients, perhaps you have to be a little bit concerned about them developing stiffness, but usually with a good rehab program, we can, we can avoid that. Awesome. Lastly, sir, a couple of recent articles in a couple of different journals had pointed out concerns for suture crossing the chondral surface and that it could possibly uh, create intact or, or increased contact pressures with concerns for suture induced chondral damage. What have your th- what are your thoughts about this and what has your experience been when evaluating p- patients postoperatively for concern for chondral wear with the, these sutures that do cross the, the chondral surface? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I would say that most of the time the, the suture crossing is fairly peripheral. I know in the lab you can show uh, changes in the contact pressure. I, I don't know, I, I, at least I, I don't know of a, another way or a better way to fix the fracture that would avoid that. So if we can come up with a better way or a different way um, that avoids that, it would be great. But the option of screws is is quite challenging. Um, Any open procedure, you have to take the subscap down, which has its own set of potential complications. Uh, We've followed our patients pretty carefully over time. And while that's a theoretical risk that they could develop increased um, post-traumatic arthritis, um, it's unclear whether it would be from the sutures or is it from the trauma itself but we really haven't seen high incidences of post-traumatic arthritis in our patients at, you know, longer term follow-up. So that's something, you know, it's one of the important things to always follow your patients because you, you know, you learn, you learn so much when you follow them carefully. And I learned so much from the the bad results, um, but we we really haven't seen a lot of cases of post-traumatic or post-surgical arthritis from this technique. Well, Dr. Millett, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk to us about this unique subset of injuries as well as uh, the treatment for them. And because you operate in the shoulder, uh, it, it's such a, a high volume, high rate with and have had great income uh, outcomes over time. Do you have any parting thoughts on the future of arthroscopic instability procedures and advancement of techniques and how we can best uh, improve our patient outcomes? Yeah, that's a that's a pretty broad question. I think that the future is people having talented people like you advance the field. I mean, you are one of the best fellows I've ever trained, and it's really fun to see um, your career blossoming and uh, so many others that I've worked with who've you know gone out and taken things to the next level. Um, I think some of the things that I'm thinking about are using uh, anchors with smaller diameter holes so that we decrease the risk of a postage stamp type fracture um, after an arthroscopic repair. Uh, The knotless anchors, I think, are lower profile and they'll 
uh, decrease the risk of uh, abrasion uh, from knots on the, the humeral head. Uh, so those are some of the things that we're thinking about, the addition of biologics to hasten healing uh, and just uh, how to deal with bone loss and when um, procedures like latter or some type of glenoid reconstruction, like my partner, Matt Preventure, has talked about with a distal tibia allograft, um, and then maybe being able to do some of those procedures less invasively in the future. You know, all those, all those areas are, are ripe for additional study, and it, um, hopefully, you know, your generation will help take us to the next level. Well, sir, uh, I appreciate your time. And uh, Dr. Peter Millett's classic arthroscopy article entitled The Bony Bankart Bridge uh, Procedure, a new arthroscopic technique for reduction and internal fixation of a bony bankart lesion, was originally published in January 2009 and can currently be accessed at www.arthroscopyjournal.org. Thank you all for joining us and have a great rest of your day. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the Arthroscopy Association or the Arthroscopy Journal.